Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Sugarcoated Murder, where we'll discuss and probably inappropriately laugh about and comment on. Yep, one of our favorite subjects murder. murder. Oh, and we love to bake. And why not combine our two favorite subjects baking and killers? Hey there, hi there, ho there. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> It's been a while. It's been a while it's since been we recorded. A while. So I'm Karen. I'm Anne. Isn't it nice to know I know who I am today? It is. So yeah, it's been a while. We um you know, we just had some things, some life things that just got in our way, but here we are. We're back. And you know, we may sometimes we may be on pause, but we're always coming back. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, y'all can't get rid of us that No, easy. because we've got stories to tell. We got stories to tell. Holy yes, smokes. Absolutely. So, so, what's happening this week, because we did take a little bit of a break, I had a birthday while we were gone. Happy birthday! And, and Karen and I have made it a tradition now, we don't buy each other gifts, so I don't know why we decided that. I think that we were really not really buying each other gifts anyway for a while, because we spend money on our kids, and right. it's right after Christmas when your birthday happens, and right. it's just never a good time when my birthday happens. Right, so we decided to bake each other And we really desserts. don't need anything we really from don't. each other. We like, don't. What am I going to give you? I can't afford to give you a new car, oh. so everything else is off the table. True that. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so we bake dessert for each other instead. Yeah, and we usually let the person whose birthday it is pick the dessert. Yeah, usually. Yeah. This time, Annie picked a caramel cake. Just like last year. I can't help it, guys. I love a caramel cake. And they're they're not hard to find, but they're very expensive to find. To, like, if you go online and you find one from, I think it's Caroline's Cakes or... Or even, like, in anywhere, our It's like $60 freaking like dollars well, for a cake. You can't just walk into Publix and get a caramel cake. Right. It has to be, like, a bakery, like a bakery business. Right. And even then, they're $40, $45, Nobody wants to spend that kind of money on a freaking cake. Not when you can make it yourself. Heck no. So I do get it, though, because usually caramel cakes have very thin layers. So they, they cut their layers in half and do, like, they stack it really high. Hey, I got bad news for these people. You can find pretty much whatever you want to cut your own cake yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. Well, There's a thing. There is a thing now that you can just put over your cake. And you just cut right through this sucker, and yeah. and your cakes are cut. It it's insane. There, it's like a no brainer. It's a no to brainer do this now. Cake. Didn't used to be. I used to have to use um, dental floss to cut through cakes. That right. was the easiest way for me to do it. Yeah. I could never. I mean, I can't slice a bagel evenly. Like, yeah. How am I gonna cut a cake? So, yeah. So anyway, so we decided to do that, and I thought it was perfect because. Um, we had the vanilla cupcakes for right. your boy's and birthday a, that were such a hit. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah. so, and that was originally a, a cake recipe. Right. That I just made into cupcakes. Yeah. So, God bless Sally and her baking addiction. <laughs> I went to that no-fail vanilla cake. Yes. And then I worked on finding a caramel icing, which is kind of funny because 
all the caramel icings that I found were incredibly uh, complicated. Like the one that I was going with, you had to put it in some kind of an ice bath for five to eight minutes. Yeah, so here we are trying to get ourselves <laughs> ready because our dear friend Andrea invited us to visit her in West Virginia, which was oh so much fun. We're trying to get ourselves ready and we want to take a cake because we're celebrating our birthdays while we're there. And yes. she's like, you know, I've got a million things to do and this recipe is complicated. I'm coming up to your place for moral support. I'm like, come on. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out why. Why? Why is it so complicated? I couldn't figure it out either, honestly. So Anne found the recipe that will now be the recipe yeah. for all the caramel frostings forever and ever. Amen. Oh, yeah. Because not only was it easy, it was flipping delicious. Yes. So, and it's what yeah. you think a caramel cake, like a caramel cake icing isn't going to be your buttercream it's not fluffy, fluffy icing. It's, it's going to be. It's heavy and it coats and it hardens. Yep. Um, and then when you cut through that, that kind of crackles and... It's soft and it just melts in, in your mouth. Yeah, and this was absolutely heavenly. So I will give you all the recipe. But um, so when I made the recipe, um, the servings, it was said 12 servings. And I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll make 12 servings. Because I looked up for a cake. Well, 12 servings does not quite frost one layer of a cake. No. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, okay, fine. I've got enough ingredients. I'll just do another one. So I did another one and then we were able to frost the other one. Right. But we really, I should have tripled it. I should have made it for 36 servings is what I should Actually, have done. I think the way you did it was perfect. Yeah. Because we ended up, I made three layers because of course, duh, we make three layers for our cakes, but uh, we couldn't frost the other layer. So what did we do? Well, we cut that sucker up and ate it. Yeah. <laughs> we had we took the leftover frosting that wasn't quite enough to, to frost the whole layer, and we just ate it. We, we ate, ate it, it, and it was we ate dreamy. It. it was so, so good. good. It was really wonderful. We stacked it like a two-layer cake, and Andrea was none the wiser. I know, and I think she enjoyed it. I, I think, think it was a did. nice, a big hit. But I do... In in retrospect, I do get why now I get why they do the thin layers because that caramel icing doesn't go, it doesn't penetrate no. into the layer. No. Like buttercream kind of penetrates yeah. into the layer. So it makes it, it adds to the moisture of the cake. Yeah. Well, now I get these layers when you use a, just a regular size layer, it, it dries out a little bit. I didn't think it got dry at all, but okay. that's just I me. I felt like it was a little dry for me. Right. But. I don't know. So anyway, I get I get the smaller layers. Keep in mind, we went from 60-degree weather oh to 18-degree weather. And we went from 80% humidity to 0% right. humidity. So by the time Ann and I got there, we had driven through mountains and snow, and oh, literally my. through mountains because there were tunnels. That Lord had never have driven mercy. through a tunnel before Lord like that. Lord have mercy. I was like, wee! She was white-knuckle driving. <laughs> I was like a grandma. Oh, my God. Yes, and so... And Andrea's um, husband laughed at us because we got out of the car in flip-flops and short sleeve shirts, shirts, and there was snow on the ground. I know. He's that like, was really you'll never funny. make it He's here. like, y'all aren't going to be okay. So little did he know, he wasn't. he's the one that probably wasn't going to be okay because the sisters had descended upon them. Oh, I'm sure his life changed forever. Forever. <laughs> yes, we've made an indelible mark. But it was really fun. We it had a was. great time. It was absolutely gorgeous up there. And can't wait to go back. Oh my gosh, me too. Can't wait to go back. I can't because either. the snow was gorgeous. Everything they took us on this incredible hike that was like—I mean, I, I even stopped in the middle of it and said, "Sugar, 
We are walking through a winter wonderland right now, <laughs> just like the song said. And it's true. We and really were. Yeah. We really so were. We had it was a great gorgeous. time. It was a gorgeous. wonderful time. They could not have been better hosts to us and our craziness that we bring. So, and then the cake was good. Cake was delicious. Yeah. So, um, should I give them, why don't you talk about something like a murder or something? And then, and then when you're done, I'll give them the recipe. Okay. All right. I'll do it. So I got a murder. Um, this one takes place in Canada. Um, Oh, Canada. Canada. We're supposed to break into song. Oh, sorry. Well, it's been a while. It has been. been. So this one takes place in Canada. Oh, Canada. There we go. Much better. Okay. (laughs) So, um, I did my research. I got information from the CaledonEnterprise.com, True Crime Daily, and BBC News. Just in case anybody wants to look anything up. Um, Tim Bozeman. Nope, not Bozeman. I always want to say that, but it's not. It's it's Bozma, or it could be Bosma. It's B-O-S-M-A. So, forgive me, people. Uh, (laughs) He got a lemon of a truck. Let's just And he and his wife were pouring money into it, trying to get it fixed. And he and his wife had just had a baby, so they agreed they needed to get rid of their truck. They needed good, to cut their losses. Good thing they didn't say get rid of the baby. Oh, God, no. <laughs> they were just going to put it online, try to sell it, and hope for the best. Okay. After several weeks of nothing, they finally got a hit. Someone wanted to take the truck for a test, test drive. Um, the man and his friend were going to come to... It, it's Hamilton, Canada. It's in Ontario. They were coming from Toronto. It was a Sunday evening, and the guys were late for their appointment. They finally showed up at 9 p.m., and Tim kind of had an uneasy feeling about it because it's 9 o'clock. You're going to take a t- this out on a test drive at 9 o'clock at night. He did not have a peaceful, night. easy feeling. He did not have a peaceful, easy feeling. Dang, and he even told his wife he didn't have a peaceful, easy feeling. I don't have but a peaceful, easy feeling. They were both us. just so ready to be done with this yeah. freaking well, truck. I can, I can understand. So he puts his daughter down to bed, kissed his wife, walked out the door, and never came home. Oh, gee. Tim's wife tried calling and texting, but there was no answer. She called the police, and they got busy trying to find Tim. Now, Ontario is much like the United States, where usually it's a missing person situation. They wait 24 hours to see if they hear anything. But because of the circumstance of what Tim said, he was uneasy. He went out with two guys. The guys were going to buy a truck. The police just went ahead and started doing their thing. Which is really, really, really awesome that they did that. Yes. Way to go, Popo. So Tim's wife, the next day, makes a plea to the public um, for help finding Tim. Um, And, you know, like everybody, she's holding her breath. And she sees a call come through on her cell phone. And it's from Tim's phone. Wow. But unfortunately, it's not Tim. Uh-oh. It's a man who had found Tim's phone while he was mowing the lawn in an industrial area that was close by. Oh. <clears throat> Excuse me. Gosh, I had to clear my throat. Mm. It's been a while. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's looking at me. Very judgmental people. Mm-hmm. The police um, retrieve the phone and they look for any kind of clues that might help them search for Tim. In the phone history, they can see that the calls Tim received about his truck had come from a burner phone. They were able to get a little bit of information from the burner phone. After calling some of the numbers that were made from the phone, police were able to track down a man named 
I call him Igor. He could be Igor. It's I-G-O-R. Oh, I think it's Igor. Well. But Igor's fine. Igor Igor was <laughs> <laughs> also had a truck that he was trying to sell. Uh-huh. And the police go and talk to him and try to see if by chance two guys had come to check oh, out yeah. his truck. Maybe they could tie him back to something. Well, Igor Igor was a big buff man. He actually had been um, in the Israeli military. Lordy. And clearly he was not somebody to be messed with. Oh, Igor Igor. Igor Igor. <laughs> he did remember, though, meeting with the men about the truck, but he couldn't remember anything else um, except for a tattoo. One of them had a tattoo that on his forearm, and it read Ambition. Oh. Ambition. I wonder if it was spelled correctly. I don't know. <laughs> That's a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Police take this back to the station, and they start searching their records to see. Because, you know, um, when you get arrested, if you have tattoos on your body, police take yes, they pictures do. of the tattoos. They're stored in a database. And if you come up again, they can match you to your tattoo. So remember that when you get a tattoo. Make sure it's pretty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and maybe don't break the law. Just saying. Yeah. Anyway, they actually get a hit. Oh. On a guy named Dellen. So it's like Ellen, but with a D. Call it dang. So add a D to Ellen. Okay. Dellen. Duh, Ellen. Dellen Miller. <laughs> Duh, Ellen. Duh, Ellen Miller. Duh, Ellen Miller is... Millard. Millard. Millard is 27. It's Millard? Millard. Millard. M-I-L-L-A-R-D. Yeah, it sounds like Millard to me. Yeah. Well, they might pronounce it something different. I'm sure in O Canada, they, they're like, what the hell? Uh, who are they who talking are about? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Please translate. <laughs> so here's the thing about Dellen. Dellen comes from an extremely, extremely wealthy family. He's the heir to an aviation fortune. Yo. When he was 14 years old, he became the first teenager to fly a helicopter and an airplane on the same day, which I didn't know that was a thing. But, I mean, I good on you, man. Thing, but way to go, Dallin. Dallin, way to go. <laughs> um, Dallin's father committed suicide in 2012. Hey. Well, that's very tragic. His father had invested over $3 million in a new airport hangar for a project. And um, it has been said that Dellen wasn't happy with the investment. And within days of his father's death, Dellen actually shut down that project and instead focused on the party, party life. Oh, of course. Um, he threw his money around like it, like he had an endless supply, which I guess he probably did. I don't know what that looks like. I don't either. <laughs> he liked to hang out with younger people. He liked to party like a rock star. Um, he was friends with a wannabe rapper named Mark. Mark E. Mark. Mark Schmitch. Smitch. Smitch. S-M-I-C-H. I don't know. I'm just going to call him Mark. Mark. And Dallin. Schmitch. Smitch. Smitch. The newspaper articles don't tell you how to pronounce it because they, they don't. They don't. It's they don't. S-M- they should. Smitch. They should. S-M-I-C-H. 
Uh oh. Rich. We gave Trout a lick bowl, but we gave it to him too early. Oh God, and he, now he's he done. really tears that up. He, yeah, he did. Oh. We're going to have to find other things for him. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to continue with my story and let you deal with Trout. Okay, that's not a good idea. I'm just going to ignore. Okay. So, Dylan wanted to be this guy, Mark's producer and manager. Mm-hmm. You know? Because how cool is that? And they like to hang out and do drugs and play video games. And one thing that they really enjoyed doing was stealing cars. Oh, my God. I know. I mean, what else would you do as a rock star heir to a millionaire? I don't know. Maybe do something good in your life? I mean... Build but planes, it sell feels planes, like to me that planes. What? What? The fame, the fortune wasn't enough. He needed some fame. It, yeah, that's Too what much he, money, not enough supervision, and not enough um, things to do in your life that are good. No structure. Right. So, please hold on. I'm getting some treats for trout. Yeah. Why don't I be in charge of those? Yeah. Just break them up. There. I know what to do. I know what to do. Do you? I know what to do. Okay. All right. Oops, so here we go. Back to the story. Um, as a matter of fact, Dellen had this brilliant idea. I don't think it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> Rather than build planes, sell planes, that kind of thing, in this extremely huge airport hangar, yeah. we're going to turn it into a chop shop. I'm going to steal them. We're going to chop them. We're going to resell them and make all this cash, I man. I really think he was trying to live like a movie he saw, maybe. It, that is like Gone in 60 Seconds, Something right? Something like that. Yeah. There's a couple of different movies. Yeah. So, uh, I think that was just not, that was not, that was not nice. That was stupid. I don't think that's what his father had intended. Stupid, Dallin. Stupid. Stupid. So, police start tracking down Dallin. Five days after Tim went missing, the police spot Dylan. He's at the bank withdrawing $3,000. Because they have him under suspicion of, and they know that he was most likely one of the people that um, Tim had left with, they arrest him. They take him down to the station. And when they do their pat down before they put him in the car, they find Tim's keys in his pockets. And then he gets arrested they arrest him for for unlawful detention because at this point they that's all they got Dellen doesn't say anything about where tim might be but what an idiot are you serious really you're gonna keep the keys in your pocket brilliant he's not a brilliant Brilliant. i mean i'm just saying he's not he's not high up on the iq no ladder so police are searching for answers they come across surveillance video from a business where they can see Tim's truck drive past shortly after Tim left with two men. It appears to be Dellen driving, Tim in the passenger seat, and they believe this Mark Smitch is sitting in the back. Mark. 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 Mark Mark the rapper. They go down uh, to the next business and look at more surveillance. And at the next business... um, they realize they're they're at the field where Tim's phone is found. Oh wow! This video shows Tim's truck followed by Dylan's SUV. Next, police take a look at video from Dylan's airplane hangar because, for God's sakes, you're going to want to have a video camera system set up in your chop shop, right? Because well, that's really course, smart. That's how you're going to let everybody know that you're right. That you're famous. Why not just stream it live? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> 
Here they see Tim's truck pull up, followed by Dylan's SUV, and there is a piece of equipment attached to Tim's truck. Um, about an hour into the footage, police see bright flames erupt outside the hangar. The flames burn all night, and police now have enough evidence to get a warrant to search the hangar and all of Dylan's properties, of which he has multiple. 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 The search of the hangar doesn't turn up anything. But they, because the chop shop guys are smart, right? Okay. <laughs> but they do get some more video surveillance because, of course, you're going to have surveillance inside your chop shop because that makes do. sense. Three days after Tim goes missing, they see Dylan's SUV towing one of those, it's, they call it a fifth wheel camper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, mm-hmm. it's not a camper, it's a trailer. So it's big. And they can see Dylan is towing this big piece of equipment out of the hangar. They find the trailer at Dylan's mother's house. Cause so this is like a trailer that, that you would be able to drive a car into. Yeah. And it's covered. It's, it's like a U-Haul trailer, but for equipment. For right. Like you can put motorcycles NASCAR. in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 You got it. And of course, when they go to search Dylan's mom's house, it's, uh-huh. they found it there. Because he's so, brilliant. And when they open it up, what do you think's inside? Oh my gosh, could it be Tim's SUV? It's his truck. I mean, his yes, truck. Yes, absolutely. That's what he was driving, was a truck, yes. SUV. The two front seats were missing, but the police find blood stains, a 38 caliber gun, shell casing, and then they light it up with luminol, and there's lots of blood splatter inside the truck. They test the results, and they find that it was it, the blood belonged to Tim. Then police, as they're looking through, find a toolbox with a thirty-eight caliber gun inside, mm. with Dylan and Mark's fingerprints are all over the truck. They're on the gun. Oh, my God. These guys are just dumb. <laughs> because it, it's they don't care. They don't care. They yeah. just want to see if they can get away with it. Yeah. They're... It's a rich kid just, I don't know, I don't even being know. Being an idiot. Being an idiot, yeah. So police um, then turn their search to Dylan's other properties that he has. Yeah. I'm going to pick up the dog now. Yeah, because I've thrown as many treats as I can. Yeah. Come on, now <laughs> he'll, have the, he'll have the trots later. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's had his lick mat with peanut butter. Yeah, and now he's had three treats. And a calm pill. Oh, so, gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. Um, so police go, they're on one of the properties, and they find behind a wooded area this big, another big piece of equipment. Uh-huh. It's actually an industrial incinerator that's used on farms to discard farm-sized animals like yeah, horses like horse and cows. Cow. Right. Um, it, it runs at about 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Um, it has a hitch on it and wheels mounted on it, which is unusual for this type of equipment. And on the side is painted the name The Eliminator. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why would you name it? Because you're an asshole rich kid with no supervision and you're trying Do you think to... they put Tim in there? I do. Really? I really do. Do you think they 
I need for you to get to the end of the story. I have questions. Okay. The police, you're going to be so surprised about how this story turns out. Okay. Police take the eliminator back to the station and they bring in a forensic pathologist. And they collect some of the materials inside. The, they, there are blood stains on the outside of the eliminator. And they take swabs of that. Everything goes, it gets tested. The pathologist actually found a tooth and some bone fragments oh. inside. Um, and everything gets sent off, sent off to the lab. So while they're waiting, they just go ahead and arrest Mark, pick old Mark up. When the pathology report comes back, um, they're surprised that the remains belong to two people. Oh, my gosh. One was Tim. And the other one was from a girl named Laura Babcock, who was an ex-girlfriend of Dellen's that had been missing. <gasps> what? Yes. Dellen and Mark are both charged with first-degree murder, and they are convicted of first-degree murder. What the? Then they were charged for the murder of Laura Babcock. It turns out that Laura was last seen with Dellen. Dellen, Mark, and Dellen's current girlfriend planned on um, getting rid of Laura because Dellen was involved in a love triangle. Okay. So he decided he had to get rid of one of them. All right. And Laura was it. She just drew the short straw. Yeah. And then the other girl was fine with getting rid of her. Right. Like, not just breaking up with her. But actually disposing of her life. Right. And they actually planned the whole thing out via text. Oh, my God. These people are geniuses. <laughs> Just geniuses. Right. Right. Oh, my gosh. By the time Dellen stands trial, he's out of money. Well, Lottie freaking died. Because when he was arrested, all of his accounts got frozen. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. He also... Uh, I'm sure on the advice of his attorney, transferred his assets to his mother. And he asked the judge um, for a court-appointed attorney saying that he didn't—he was out of money. He didn't have any money. I'd have been like, too And the judge bad. said, too freaking bad. Good. You can represent yourself. Shut your mouth. I love that judge. Yeah. This is in Laura's trial. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love that. So, Dylan and Mark were both found guilty of first-degree murder of Laura Babcock. Oh, my gosh. They received two consecutive life sentences. Consecutive. Each. So, life for Tim's murder, life for Laura. Yeah. Consecutive. I love that. Right. Whoa. Oh, Canada. Right. You know how to do it. That's right. Goodbye. Goodbye. But, we're not quite finished. Mother effing... During all of the investigations, police said, you know what? I think we better go back and check into Dellen's dad's suicide. No, don't we say should. it. We should look at it. Oh, my God. We should just take a look-see. Well, guess what? It no. turns out that Dellen's fingerprints were on the freaking gun. He was also the one that found his dad's body. He and his dad had become... Um, or Dellen had become unhappy with his dad. His dad was giving him a hard time about his behavior and his spending habits. His 
video playing, spending habits, right. doing nothing with your life. Right. While, oh, by the way, dad has made a fortune for you. Exactly. So, um, they think that there are people who speculate that Dylan's dad was getting ready to cut him off. I'm sure he was. Disinherit him. So, Dylan decided, okay, I think I might kill him. This guy is nuts. They go and they find out that Dylan's alibi for where he was when his dad would have committed suicide was at Mark's house. So, yeah. Mark the rapper. Yeah. We ain't rapping no more. Well, we might be rapping something. I don't know. When Dylan found his dad's body, instead of calling 911, he called his mother. Who had been divorced from Dylan's dad for more than 10 years. Oh, my gosh. Idiot. Research into where the gun came from showed it was stolen from a friend of Dylan's. Dylan was found guilty and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. I guess even if you get life, there's still... Yeah, I know. After so much time, you, you can... You can apply, apply for, for it. Apply for it. So, Dylan can apply for parole in 2088 when he's 103. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Dallin's sentence is the longest term that's ever been handed down in the history of Ontario. Go, Ontario. Go, Ontario, go. And go, Ontario, go. With three killings, he's now a serial serial killer. killer. And gosh, I don't think that he would have been stopped had he not been found. Not been found out. No, I this don't think so either. This was just the beginning of his oh, budding career. And there's there there could have been more. We of don't know. Of course. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, so, Dylan's mom better count her lucky stars that she never pissed off her kid. Well, here's the thing about that situation. Uh-oh. Um, Tim's wife and Laura's family have both filed civil suits to get money. That's right. And guess where it's going to come from? It's going to come from that estate. Yes. But there are people that are speculating that he'll be disinherited. And you're not allowed to make, you're not allowed to profit off of anything when you're in jail in Canada. No. So these prisoners that get the big book deals and, you know, they get to keep the money or whatever. That didn't happen in Canada. Does it happen here in the United States? I think it does. Really? I think that you can profit. Oh, I didn't think you could. I thought they got those book deals that the And money, you probably can't get it in money. jail. You can't have access to it, but But like your family members can get it. Because right. I think that's bullshit. I think it should be the victims' families that get that. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that. There we'll wasn't do some research any on that. information on that. They they probably so it's two thousand eighteen when he was convicted for How his old dad. was he? I, I don't I don't remember. He was what he was born saying. in nineteen eighty five, he was twenty seven. Okay. Can you imagine? What a jackass. I mean, he was ruthless. He was ruthless. He oh, bought he an incinerator. This is just a spoiled child. With no supervision. No structure. Nothing. And whose whose dad just worked his ass off to get to be able to provide for his son. And then his son just throws it all the way, all the way, and both and not only that kills the dad. Right. You killed the golden goose, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> he killed the golden goose. He did. He did. Before he ever laid the eggs. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Idiot. Idiot. Yeah. So yeah. I feel bad for that man. Not only did he die knowing his son killed him, but he also died knowing died knowing that his son was a flipping idiot. Yeah. 
and that he was just nasty and greedy and mean. He was just mean. mean. He was because he didn't need these cars that he was chopping. He didn't no. need the money from the chop shop. No, he didn't need any of that. No, he was just just he, he was just an ill person. My God, he could have resold the airplane hangar. Yeah, and, and made money. Made money off of uh-huh. it and been fine for the rest of his life. Yeah. Oi. 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 They. Well, I'm going to sugarcoat that with some caramel frosting. Oh, yeah. Let's hear about that caramel, caramel frosting. <laughs> okay, guys. This it is a, so good. Oh, God. It makes me hungry for it to read this, but we're just going to keep on moving. Yeah. Okay. So this, I, I did it. I adjusted it to 36 servings, but if... If people write to us and want this, it's on All Recipes, by the way, if you, allrecipes.com, and it is actually called Caramel Frosting One. <laughs> Caramel <laughs> Frosting One. One. Uno. Caramel Frosting Uno. I love it when All Recipes says that. Yes. So, it says that it, and this is where I went wrong, I should have read, it yields a one, eight, or nine inch layer. I know. What? But we were in a rush. We were we trying were. to pack. We were, we were just tired. trying to get shit done. We were tired. We were tired. We were trying to plan how are we going to go from 60 degree weather to 2 yes. degree weather. What, like how is this going to work out? Yeah. All right. So the ingredients are very basic. Butter, milk, brown sugar, confectioner sugar, vanilla extract. You probably have all that stuff in your kitchen right now. Yeah, get up and make it right so this minute. So you get up and make it. And I'm telling you, you could put a Ritz cracker in this. It's good. Oh. <laughs> like, you don't need a cake. If you don't have a cake candy, it's no problem. Uh-uh. Just, just eat it with a Ritz cracker. Oh, yeah. I mean, or a spoon. Just eat it with a spoon. So, okay, this is what you do. In a Your dog. I know. He's got a little pep in his He's step He's got a little now. pep in his step. In a saucepan over medium heat, you melt your butter your butter, and you mix in your milk and your brown sugar, and you boil that vigorously for one minute. So you get it to bubbling, and once it starts bubbling, you set that timer for one minute, and you let it bubble. Let that shit bubble. Bubble up? Yes. And then you, when it's done, after that minute, you remove it from the heat. Oh, dear. And you... um. Then it says beat in your confectioner sugar. I just used a whisk, and, and I didn't have to use, like, a hand mixer or anything. I, I hand did it. Yeah, it's funny. She started using the whisk. I, I'm so used to us using the KitchenAid, I totally forgot I've got a hand mixer. So Yeah, yeah. but it's okay. The it, whisk worked just fine. It's perfect. not so thick that you can't do it. it not at yeah. all. And I've got a sore shoulder, and I still was able to yeah. do it. So I did fine. I just whisked and whisked and whisked, and eventually that all the little lumps of that sugar just melt right into that yummy stuff. So then it says to cool slightly, which all I did was, um, so you've taken it off the heat anyway, and then you've got your confectioner sugar in it. I literally think I counted to 60, and then I was like, that's fine, because we were in a hurry. <laughs> and we had you had pre-baked your cakes. Yeah, I pre-baked so they the were cakes. Completely they were completely cool. cool. So it was fine to do If that. your cake is not completely cool, this icing is not going to set up right for you. No, you want your, you definitely want that cake to be nice and cool. So, um, and then you beat in your vanilla and your remaining confectioner sugar. It says beat it in again. I just hand whisked it. And then um, it, when I made this, it was a little thicker than I wanted because I wanted to be able to pour it onto the cake. And so I actually added just a little bit, like I think a tablespoon at a time of milk to like, and whisked it right. until I got it to the consistency that I wanted. Um, I wanted it to pour like thick batter, like brownie batter. 
and that's what it did. It just I just poured it, guys. It was so good. You put it on there when the, when this is still warm, warm because yeah. once it gets dry, once it gets cool, <laughs> it gets dry and tacky, and you cannot work with it. No. So anyway, it was perfect, and it's not really the kind of icing either that you're gonna spread. You know, with the knife around the edges and stuff, it's like a pour, pour it on, just pour, and on. just keep pouring and let yeah. it flow over and use your knife or whatever to, to just even it. it out. Yeah. yeah, but that was it. So you could even, if you were using this on cupcakes, you could dip your cupcakes oh, in this. Yeah. So, and that would just that would I wouldn't even try to ice it or get in there it. and make some more. Oh, well, if you had the ingredients, well, I shouldn't say that because she probably doesn't yeah. be in there making it. No, we're not eating, eating sugar it. right now. We're not doing it. So anyway, that was perfect. It was perfect. Um, it was delicious, it was and it great. was a wonderful birthday. It it was a good birthday for you, yeah, and for hopefully for Andrea as well. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, we did have to come home early because of a sledding incident. It was a sledding incident, but had not some with stomach us. issues. There were things going on, but uh, and that's what kept us from recording when we got home. And listen, another threat of snow. And be scared to death to come off the mountain. Yeah, you know, that's true. We hightailed it out of there, but the, we were very happy with it. We were, and I was really proud of us. We stopped one time on the way home. On the we're way like, home, we're getting home, and that was it. We went yeah. to the bathroom. We got we ourselves everything. a snack, and that was it. We were. Yeah. I was getting home. We were getting home. Getting home. Got to get to our people. So okay. yeah, it was a lot of fun, and the cake was delicious. And if you want the recipe, let us know. But. What you got going on over there? So, we were in Fayetteville, West Virginia. We sure were. It was beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. And there is actually quite a mystery that is, that, that is, that was, that came out of this little town (laughs) that I don't know what I was going to say that was born in this town, but that's a weird way to say it. (laughs) So, I'm just going to preface this up front with, I really hope I do this story justice because, um, it really is a mystery, and it really is such a delightful little town. It's very charming, and I can only imagine what it was in the 1940s. Right. Because it really is just the sweetest little place. It so is. I just want to do it justice, and I apologize up front if I mess it up. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think you will. I hope not. I really hope not. So 1945, we're Fayetteville, West Virginia. That's our setting. Gotcha. Okay. In the Appalachian Mountains. Yes. All right, George Sauter, he was born in Sardinia, Italy. Italy? Yes. Oh, wow. He and came he, a long way. Yeah, and he immigrated with his brother to the U.S. at the age of 13. Oh, my. As soon as they cleared customs at Ellis Island, his older brother turned around and went back to Italy, leaving George to fend for his self and find his own way at the age of 13. Jiminy Crickets. How crazy is that? That's insane. Yes. Well, he, he did actually find his way. Good for him. So, he found some work um, in Pennsylvania at a rail, on the railroads. He, um, I've been working, working on the railroad all the live long day. Yeah. I mean, we break into song because it's just who we are. So he actually carried water and supplies to the workers of the railroad. And eventually he found work as a driver in West Virginia. And then he started, eventually, George started his own trucking company hauling dirt for construction construction sites. And then eventually he switched to hauling coal because this is a huge coal mining area. Yeah. So 
he married Jenny Cipriani. She oh. was also an Italian yeah, immigrant. Yeah, sounds like a nice Italian girl. I know. So they made a very nice Italian couple. Isn't that something? And they settled just outside of Fayetteville, West Virginia. Wow. Wow, wow. Yes. Fayetteville, West Virginia at that time had a very large Italian immigration population, so they felt very much at home. Wow, that's nice. They built a beautiful house. I think it was two stories and a basement. Mm. Um, two stories and a basement or two stories and an attic. Hmm. I don't know. It was a nice house. I did and they see were, a lot of houses there that had basements, which yeah. I always think is so unusual in the in that mountainous area because the you know the water comes off the mountain and you get floods and stuff from creeks. But I guess they know what they're doing. I guess so. So um, they settled. They built this house um, two miles north of town. They, they it was a farm because back then people sustained their life with farming, of course, because you couldn't just get everything you needed at the store. Right. And George ran his business. They ended up having 10 children. Jimmy Cricket. Children. I'm going to go through them. Okay. Joe, John, Marion, George, Jr., Maurice, Martha, Louise, um, Jenny, little Jenny, Betty, and Sylvia. Is that in order? That's in order. So he yeah. didn't get a junior until like the fourth kid? Yeah. That's funny. I guess they were um, paying homage to some other people. Maybe. So, I'm really, I'm really enjoying your dog. I know, I know, but this is either this, or, or I'm going to hold him, or he's going to whine. Can I don't know how to make out? you happy. <laughs> Can we turn him outside? No. Okay. I don't know how to make you happy at this I don't point. Either. I'm trying my best. Either he's going to be happy, or I'm going to be happy, so we're just going to choose his happiness. I think I might be at a point now where both of you will be happy for a couple minutes. <laughs> Continue on. Please hurry. Okay, so they filled this home with 10 children, and they became a very respected family in that community. Nice. George did have some strong opinions, and being the Italian that he was, he shared them freely, especially about his feelings for the, at that time, the Italian dictator Mussolini. Mussolini. Yes, so he was the dictator of his homeland, and he had some strong words for Mussolini. Which, when you're in America, you're allowed to say freely. You are. Some of his Italian immigrants didn't share George's views, and this sometimes led to some pretty serious arguments. Oh, my. Yeah. But it's okay. So, in 1945, I'm going to talk about the children for a minute. Okay. Joe was 25. He had left the house and was serving in World War II. Mm. And then you had John, 23. Mm-hmm. And you had Marion, who was 17. Okay. George Jr. was 16. John and George Jr. helped their father with his business. Okay. Okay. You also had Maurice, who was 14, Martha was 12, Louise was 9, Jenny was 8, Betty was 5, and little Sylvia was 2. Okay. Okay. So, let's keep that in mind. So, Christmas Eve, 1945. (laughs) We got a little uh, bird on Anne's bird feeder, and it's not a little bird, it's a mockingbird. Yeah, it is. So... (laughs) trying to figure out how to get into the little bird feeder so um george and jenny and their nine children because joe was out of the house were celebrating christmas on christmas eve and the children um the smaller children got to open some presents that um martha who was 17 at the time 
she or Marion, sorry, Marion was 17 at the time. She was working at a retail store in town mm-hmm. and she bought went and bought her little siblings some toys for Christmas Aww. and they got to open those presents Christmas Eve. So they nice. were very excited. That is nice. Yes, and they had a nice little family celebration and they set up for the next day, you know, the feast and everything for the next day. Wow. Around 10 o'clock that evening, Jenny decided to take baby Sylvia and head to bed. George and the other two boys, those two older boys, they had already gone to bed. They were exhausted. They had worked all day. Right. So the younger children pleaded with mom to stay up longer so that they could play with their toys. And Jenny agrees with a few conditions. First of all, the older kids were in charge. So um, Marion would be in charge Maurice would be in charge. Martha would be in charge. Okay. And then the other kids were nine, eight, five, and two. I mean, well, you kind nine, of eight, divide, you know, your yeah. stuff up and you have that many kids. My good lord. Yeah. So they were in charge, and then the rule was, like it always was, the last person to go to bed or the last person old enough to do this, they turn off the lights, they close the curtains, they um, and they lock the doors before heading up. Okay. And the two. Older, older boys that were up, they also had to go get the cows and the chickens in before they before they went to bed. Gotcha. That makes so, sense. Yes. So the kids head to bed around 11, 15, 11, 30. Okay. Um, they, there were two large bedrooms upstairs in the, kind of in the attic. It was like there was an attic they had converted. And there were two large bedrooms, one for the boys and one for the girls. Oh, okay. Um, but... George Jr. and John didn't sleep up there. They slept down closer to their parents' bedroom. Uh-huh. And then Sylvia was the baby, so she was sleeping in their room. Okay. She had a crib in their in the parents' room. So they go off to bed around 11, 15, 11, 30, and they go up to the little, I call them little dormer rooms because there was one for the girls, one for the boys. Right. Marion who was 17, fell asleep on the couch, and she just stayed on the couch for the night. And so around 1230 in the morning, the telephone rings, and it woke Jenny up, and she goes downstairs to answer it, and a female voice asked for someone Jenny had never heard of. She told the caller wrong number. The female let out this really weird laugh and hung up. So Jenny goes back to bed. But on the way back to bed, Jenny noticed that Marion was asleep on the couch. So she left her there. But she also noticed the curtains were open. The doors were unlocked. Not, I mean, they had not done the things they were supposed to do. Even the lights were still on. Oh, my. Yeah. So she goes about completing the chores that the kids didn't do and goes to bed. Okay. Around 1 o'clock in the morning, Jenny is again awoken. This time, she hears what she thinks are rocks hitting the tin roof, that a tin roof, Mm -hmm. and then rolling down the roof. She was like, that is so weird. But she was exhausted, and she fell back to sleep. So about 30 minutes later, she woke up to the smell of smoke. And boy, do I know how this feels. Right. Been in this situation, and it is sheer panic. Right. Just like, holy shit, what's that smell? So um, she goes down and... And one floor down, and she sees that George's office, which is where the telephone was, right. was on fire. Oh, no. The office wall was on fire. Oh, that's she, weird. She was like, oh, my God. So she goes and wakes up George, and he goes and gets his two older sons. 
and they come out, and by then, the entire stairway to that attic oh, is no. engulfed in flames. Oh, no. Yes. And it is so hot. They have to, they grab Marion off the couch, Sylvia out of her crib, and they run outside. So, they get outside. Of course, there's nothing but panic. They start yelling and screaming for those children upstairs to get themselves out. Raise a window, break a window, whatever they can. George actually um, races to grab these two ladders that he always leaves propped up against the house so he can climb up to the children. But the ladders are gone. They're nowhere to be found. Oh, no. Yes. He actually climbed up the, the wall of his of his house mm-hmm. barefooted. Oh my gosh. Climbing up and try, and got to a window that was an attic window that was not part of the bedrooms and was able to break it with his hand. He cut, he sliced the huge hunk out of his arm doing it, didn't even notice. Right. So then he's screaming in there, but but the roof is really hot. He's on a tin roof. Right. There's fire everywhere and he starts screaming and he can't get the kids to come to the window. Right. So he's like, oh, my God, i got to figure out how to get in there. So he runs to his work truck, which these are big, like, hauling trucks, like right. what you haul, like, I guess they're, like, dump truck type right, things. Right. So he's thinking, okay, I'm going to drive it up, and then I'm going to be able to climb up on the very tallest edge of this and then jump up and get to this, to these windows. Right. He goes to one truck. He goes to start it. The truck will not start. Oh, my God. He had just used these trucks that day. There was nothing wrong with them. Wow. He runs to the other truck. That truck will not start. Mm. He is helpless. Wow. He goes to a rain barrel to try to get the rain barrel full of water to at least douse some of the fire. It is frozen solid. Oh, no. He cannot do anything. So, at this point, Marion takes off running. And she has to run to the neighbor's house. When I tell you to the neighbor's house, it's not like we're used to. She has to cross all of their farm and all of the other farm to get to this house. Right. So she runs to the house, bangs on the door to use their telephone to call the fire department. Because back then there was no 911. No. So you have to remember the number to the fire department. Yeah. She calls... And she calls and gets the like to get the operator because it didn't it, the phones didn't work the same way. Right, they do yeah, now. yeah. You have to call the operator. Give me the fire department. Right. The operator didn't answer. They could not get an answer from the operator oh, at yeah. all. So in the meantime, because it's Christmas, it's right? Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. So in the meantime, they there was a passerby driving through and saw from the road this house on fire right so he goes to the nearest tavern and he stops to use their phone and he calls from the tavern tavern, and he cannot get an operator to answer my gosh so he gets in his vehicle and he races to the house of the police chief because he knows where he lives right oh my gosh there's a house on fire it's huge i think it's the sodder's house you've got to come quick right so the fire chief starts what's known as the phone tree. Right. Because that's the only way you can get the other firefighters. Well, there's no operator. Right. How is he getting them? And by the way, he doesn't know how to drive the fire truck. What? Right. Yeah. He can't he can't do it. This is the fire chief? Or this the is the fire chief? chief. Holy smokes. Yes. I've gotten so far ahead of myself in telling the story without even looking at my notes. <laughs> so um so, the fire department actually um, shows up at 8 o'clock in the morning. What? 
Yeah. Not until 8 o'clock in the morning. And by then, this house is just rubble and ashes. Yeah, it's nothing. There's nothing, nothing left. left. It's over. As a matter of fact, it had burned for about 45 minutes before the roof collapsed into itself. Right. And it just, they had to sit there and watch it burn, knowing that those children were in there burning. Oh, my God. They never came to the, the kids never came to the window. They never heard them scream. Nothing. Wow. And so, of course, they're devastated. So, um, the firefighters do a cursory look through the ashes, and um, they couldn't find any remains of any children. Wow. Not a bone fragment, not a tooth, not an organ, nothing. Wow. And so that's kind of weird. That is kind of weird. So the fire chief says to George, don't disturb this area. We're going to call in the state fire marshal to investigate. Well, four days later, George and Jenny could not, they could no longer bear the sight of this heap of rubble. They couldn't look at it again. It was heartbreaking. And so George actually brings in with his bulldozer and, and hauling truck five feet of dirt, and he covers it. Oh, wow. And they decide they're going to make a memorial garden for their children, their five children that were burned. And the five children that were burned are Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louise, or Louise, Louis, I don't know, it was a guy, nine. Right. Little Jenny, eight years old, and Betty, five years old. Oh, so they look, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And they are, they're just devastated, which I can only imagine. Um, death certificates are issued for these five children, although there are no bodies. The cause of death is noted as an accident, and they note that the fire is due to faulty wiring. Well, I don't know how they came to that conclusion. And George doesn't like this because... Yeah, just, how do they come to well, that conclusion? And just weeks left. before, George had had his house rewired because they got a new oven or something, and he needed it rewired, and the circuit breaker updated. So they had an electrician that came in, did the rewiring, and then certified it as safe. Wow. So how is this faulty, faulty wiring? And Jenny remembers that the lights in the house, because she had left on the Christmas lights when she went to bed, you know, after she came back and said the kids didn't do what they were supposed to do. Right. Those lights stayed on for at least half the time that the house was burning. Yeah. So it, so what? Well, it was a little like, odd. Yeah. And, and they just came to this conclusion by, they used a jury to decide this. Like you, you, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure our firefighter friends can tell us, but there's like, a group of people that get elected to sit on this jury type panel to go through the documentation and listen to what the firefighters and the fire chiefs say, and then they're the ones that, the de- that determine what the cause of the fire was. Which is actually not a bad idea because then maybe less cases of fraud. But yeah, we'll see. it would have been nice if I had had that when I had my <laughs> house, house what fire. I was <laughs> yeah. So, um, so on January 2nd, there was a funeral for all of the five lost children. George and Jenny were so distraught they could not attend. and But the older children did attend. Right. Um, as George and Jenny started to climb out of the shock and fog of their horrific loss, because this is undeniably just horrific, they start to question the events of that night and even the events kind of leading up to it. So I'm going to go through the points in question 
that I found. And I, I read lots of documents, lots of documents. Right. Um, and I will tell you that there was an excavation that happened, and that excavation did bring up some bones, mm-hmm. and they were sent to the Smithsonian Institute. Wow. So there's even um, an article about this in the Smithsonian Magazine about these children and what happened to them and what their report said. So wow. I'll get to that. So in October, before this fire happened in December, there was a life insurance salesman who went to George to try to buy him life insurance, or not to buy him, to sell him life insurance. But he was rebuffed by George, and this kind of made the guy mad, and he hurled a threat saying George's house would go up in smoke and his children would be destroyed. Oh, my word. That was in October. Wow. And it turns out that same insurance guy sat on the inquiry jury that determined the cause For of the fire. For heaven's sake. Yeah, that sounds a little squirrely to me. Yeah. So um, George start, stated all along that this fire started on the roof, but there was nothing left of the house, and they couldn't prove it. Right. But he said all along, this started on the roof. Um, the way that it burned, he he felt like it had started on the roof and, and and gone down that wall where he was, but he couldn't understand why the stairwell was so engulfed so quickly, right. and the heat was was hot. It was a hot fire, but um, and then you know there's the question of why are there no remains of these children? Right, like, where, are, where they? are they? So Jenny actually contacted. Her. See, just think about this. The the story I just did had an incinerator. That burned at fourteen hundred degrees Fahrenheit, and there was still a tooth, yeah, and bones, yeah, in there left over. So and yeah, and it, I mean, even on the outside of it, there was blood for thirty minutes. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that leads me to this. So Jenny has a friend at a local crematorium. Mm-hmm. She contacts that person and says. How long does it take a fire to burn that would it just burn up all the remains of all five of my children? Right. Not just the we found four, there was one missing, right. we found three or found two. There was all, all five of them. Right. So this person said it takes a fire of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit to burn for two hours to turn a body into ash. And even with that, there's still still when you get pieces. sometimes when you get ashes back of your loved ones, there are still some little teeny pieces yeah. in there. So, um, so this really confused Jenny because she said some of her appliances did not burn completely. Oh my gosh! Like, and not only that, but you could recognize, like, you could recognize the oven, or you could, and you could right. recognize the refrigerator. Right. So they didn't completely burn. So she was like, it couldn't have been that hot. And it only burned for 45 minutes. Right. So um, that was that was very upsetting. As a matter of fact, poor Jenny was so obsessed with this that, that throughout the years, if a, if a dead animal was found on their property, she would go and burn it in a fire to see how long it would take oh to burn God. it completely. Because right. she just kept thinking, could my children right. have burned in this fire? Right. Why didn't we find anything? Right. So... Also, the ladder that um, George was looking for, uh-huh. it was actually found thrown down an embankment 75 feet away from their property. Wow. They're not sure what happened, but witnesses had said that the day before, they saw some men going in and out of the property. Oh, 
and they felt like um, maybe they had gone in and t- taken the ladders or something. Oh, they had wow. stolen the ladders. Was that just a coincidence, or was that something more sinister? Right. Um, somebody also, eyewitnesses also said they, those same two guys um, had been seen with equipment that it takes to actually remove the engine blocks from from um, cars. Oh. But the the engines were intact in George's trucks, and there was never an explanation of as to why those trucks didn't start that night. Right. There was never nobody ever really said. Some people say, "Well, we think he just in his panic he flooded them." But would he have done that to both of them? Right. Like this is a man who drove trucks for a living. Right. So um, that was a little a little suspicious. Now let's talk about this fire chief. He couldn't show. He couldn't drive trucks. And this is the why he said he didn't show up until eight o'clock. I don't know that fire chief that can't drive a damn truck. I'm not sure either. Maybe I don't know. My firefighter friends maybe can tell me what went on in the 1940s that maybe only special like that was a specialty. I mean, you that's know? a bad plan. I'm just going to tell you right now. I feel like bad everybody plan. on the fire department should be able to drive a truck. Agreed. They should be able to do all the jobs. Exactly. It's called cross training. Right. Yeah. So I'm just saying. <laughs> So this fire chief, now supposedly he found a heart and a bone fragment at the scene, but he didn't want to upset the family. So he buried them on the property in a steel box. Oh, really? Yes. I'll get back to that. Okay. That's interesting. Um, A few years later, Sylvia was on the property near where the garden, because I'll tell you this memorial garden is something that Jenny tended to every single day for the rest of her life. Right. It was almost like that was her connection to her children. Right. So she would take Sylvia, she would go garden and Sylvia would play. Well, in some bushes on, on that side of the property, Sylvia found what Sylvia described as a pineapple bomb, which was actually um, a grenade. What? Was that what Jenny heard? Yeah. Falling down the roof and roll like hitting the roof like she thought it was rocks. Wow! Did could that have been it? I, I mean, this I is know. all. These are all questions. Crazy. Um, yes. So George spent a lot of money. There were tips all over the place. George spent a lot of money trying to find answers, and he ended up hiring a private investigator after um, after Jenny was Jenny got in the mail a picture. That was that looked just like her, um, Louise. Oh, but aged. Oh, and um, the zip code was in Kentucky. Oh, it's also a zip code found in Italy. Oh, so they didn't know, was it, but they thought it was postmarked from Kentucky. Oh, so they hire an investigator. The investigator first he starts getting you know stuff, he goes to talk to. The fire chief. The fire chief is the one that tells him about the steel box that he buried. Oh. So he says, will you take me to the, where you buried it? So they go and unbury it. And what's in there is not a heart. It's actually a beef liver. Like you buy at the store? Yeah. Okay. So what What the hell was this fire chief doing? I don't know. Like... I he, can't drive a truck and I bought a beef liver I thought I'd bury it on your property. And pretend like it was one of your children? Oh my God. But I didn't tell you? Like, what is what he doing? He's cuckoo for Cocoa yeah. Puffs, this one. I don't know. So, um, anyway, so then the private investigator goes off to Kentucky to try to find this picture 
or the, the owner of this picture of this boy. And he is never seen or heard from again. What? Vanished. The private investigator vanished? Vanished. Oh, no. Yes. So, some people think this was mafia-related because of George's very outspoken um, comments against Mussolini. Some people think the mafia was definitely trying to move into the coal mining business and into this area. They thought maybe, um, you know, George was not always the nicest person when people approached him with business ideas like life insurance. So, you know, did he piss off a mafia person? Was this a kidnapping? Were the children maybe maybe the reason that the door was still unlocked was that the children were kidnapped um, and and stolen before the and then the fire was set to hide the evidence of the children being stolen? Like these are all the questions that kept coming up. Um, there was a woman who ran a like a bed and breakfast type thing, but it was a it was a bed and breakfast that you could you didn't have to spend the night there to get breakfast. Oh, nice. Yeah. So um, that was between Fayetteville and Charleston, West Virginia, is where she was. Mm-hmm. And she said she she feels really certain that she fed those five children the next day. She fed them breakfast. What? Yeah. She didn't know anything that had happened at that point. You know, news didn't travel in a moment back then. Right. But she said those five children, she said, I, I fed them breakfast. And they were accompanied by two very large Italian men with very, very strong Italian accents that spoke to each other in Italian, and they would not let me communicate with those children. Wow. Right. So she did come forward, and those the, the car license plate that she remembers was from Florida, which, I mean, of course, back then, you didn't get a lot of people from out of your state. Right. So to see a Florida license plate. I will say on our way. Oh, my out gosh. Of West there were so many Floridians. Very much. I don't know. Maybe Floridians in West Virginia. There. Maybe there's a connection. So, like I said, and um, there was an excavation of the site in August of 1949. So, this happened in 45. So, um, they found some things that they found was a partially burned dictionary. What? Right. How could you have a partially burned dictionary and no bones? They found some damaged coins and they found shards of vertebrae. So they sent those to the Smithsonian. Okay. It came back that they were they were in they were definitely human lumbar vertebrae. Okay. Okay. They belonged to one person. Okay. Um, when they did the aging of that um, of those vertebrae, they they did not fit the right age range for any of the children. Oh, that's so weird. And there was no evidence of those vertebrae ever being in fire. So they felt like it was in the fill dirt that George brought in. Oh. Yeah, that George maybe brought in to fill that five feet of dirt. That's a lot of dirt. It is a lot of dirt. So they felt like that's what it came from and that the excavators never really got all the way down to the burn site. Right. Yeah. Dang it. I know. So George spent a lot of money and erected this this huge memorial sign at the site um, of his property. And where the garden was, and it had the pictures of the five children. Um, he put up a five thousand dollar reward, wow. which at that time it was, it was money, yeah. equal to about two hundred and seventeen thousand. Wow! And um, five years later, he doubled it. Wow! It was a lot of money, and it said on the billboard it had the children's faces 
It had their ages and their names, and it said, what happened to our children? Kidnapped, murdered, or burned. Wow. Please help us find, you know, find out what happened. Or if you have anything, please call us or whatever. So um, that stayed up. Um, So over the years, they got loads of tips. They would find out that um, one of the convents in New York said they had um, Martha in the convent. And George would pack his bags and go to New York, and he would come back with no answers. He found out that um, there was a couple that supposedly had adopted Betty because there was a high, um, back then there was a lot of adoption scams going on. Right. People would kidnap kids and then sell them. Right. Um, So he went to try to find where, you know, this Betty supposedly was adopted. And he went and the parents would not let him see the child and they would not speak to him. So he came home with no answers. But this this absolutely tortured him for the rest of his life. Yes. So um, Sylvia, who was two at the time, she said that her first childhood memory is of of that night of the fire. She remembers it? She remembers it. She remembers her dad being injured because it took a huge chunk out of his arm when he tried to break that glass. She said she remembers the screaming, the crying, the panic, the everything. She says, I I remember that is my first childhood memory. And she said over the years, she and her dad had many, many conversations about what could have happened. Right. It just haunted them. I'm sure. Jenny never came out of mourning. She wore black for the rest of her life. She tended to that garden. She kept to herself. She was devastated. I'm sure. She lost her babies. And she couldn't find answers. Like, she she lost them and doesn't know where they went. Right. Just disappeared. Yeah. So, it was very difficult for her. Um, George ended up dying in 1968. And at that point, she um, put a fence around her property because she had a lot of people that would walk through and stuff like that. Right. She fenced off her property. Um, she put up a wall to her house. She she tr- started to actually wall herself in away yeah. from the public because... She was, but she really had a difficult time. She died in 1989, mm-hmm. and at that point, the sign was taken down. Wow! Right. So there's never been any question, any answers to this. That's so bizarre. Even today, you would think there's nothing with the technology we have. Why there's not go back to the burn and site and try to find try it? Try and do something. Sylvia and her children and her grandchildren still search for answers. They still take any opportunity to put it out in the public eye. She's done a couple of um, true crime type interviews. She's She tried to get on um, Unsolved Mysteries, but they never put her story on, which was... Wow, that's I know, too which, bad. That would be a great story for Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, so anyway, I mean, what a what a horrible tragedy in that beautiful, charming little town. I know, that's awful. And, um, yeah. And to still have no answers. No answers, no Mm-mm. It is something. So, um, well, hopefully the right person will listen to our podcast and I know maybe make a connection. That'd maybe if we could get some psychic mediums to work on it, to go to the property and try to feel some presence or not. I don't know. I mean, maybe right, the right, children right. aren't there. Yeah. What what presence would you find? Right. I don't. Like it's just crazy. Yeah. So I just think it's heartbreaking, and um, the the hardest thing I think is that that Jenny has now passed. She and George have passed without ever finding out any answers well, to they this. Know now. They do know now. Sylvia is the only one left. She's the only one left in that family. Right. 
So she tries to keep it alive with her children and her grandchildren, trying to keep that legacy alive, which right. I think is very noble. Um, but bless them all. I mean, wow, that was a deep, dark story. It's quite a mystery. And, um, yeah, I feel very privileged to have found out about this yeah, and to be able to tell other people about it. Yeah, Andrea drove us around the town. and Yeah, and she pointed out, she where, the pointed out where the house was. And yeah. I, I didn't see it because I was too scared because we were going around <laughs> these curves. Well, like I felt like she didn't have a break. <laughs> I couldn't look at anything except for the She's a little bit used thing. to the mountain roads, and Ann and I are used <laughs> to the roads of the low country. <laughs> You'd have a huge mountain on one side and a creek on the other Lord side. Lord mercy. <laughs> no shoulder on the road, no, no. guardrail, no nothing. And she was like, Hey, look at that. Hey, look at that. We're like, I can't lift my head up. So, but she was an awesome tour guide. She's showed us some gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. If anybody ever gets the chance to, you want to go and find a charming little town that just has really cute, neat um, restaurants. Like all the restaurants oh, there God. are locally owned. They're, you know, yeah. they're all local, like, very I don't want to say eclectic, but just unique, very unique restaurant. That's what you would think. Like you, you would almost think it would be country cooking or yeah, something, it's but it's not. not. No, well, but you know, it had a very, very deep roots in it, roots in Italian food too. Yeah, there. very true. So, um, we had fantastic pizza oh, that had like so steak and a horseradish sauce. Oh, it was insane. Amazing. It was really good. Yeah. So um, we had a great time. So there's my murder mystery. Wow. That's amazing. And again, we talk about fire and burning in both of them. That's crazy. crazy. I know. Well, you're crazy. Oh, well, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I need some help, please. (laughs) (laughs) So, speaking of help. Oh. We have social media. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what kind of help do you need? What can I do for you, lady? I need people to email us on social media and let us know. We did have two new members join our um group our fan page and i saw one of them's from seoul korea i know konnichiwa Con- i think that's japanese <laughs> <laughs> sorry hello in korean <laughs> hello <laughs> we're happy to have you even though you will soon find that we are crazier than i don't even know a box of pop rocks right <laughs> but we mean well we do mean well and we, we probably often offend but we never intend no god no <laughs> my god so social media we have email and that address is murder.sugarcoated at, at gmail.com Ta-da! yay <laughs> we also have a facebook fan page it's sugarcoated murder podcast fan page yes anybody can be a member just request it and we'll say okie doke we have not denied anybody yet so (laughs) don't worry but when you're there you are among over 160 of our closest friends closest friends yes so you are now one of our closest friends little korea lady yeah (laughs) is that offensive because we didn't mean it to be well i mean i just meant she's just a she's a lady and i'm sure in my eyes, she's probably little, not because she's Korean, just because she's a lady. <laughs> Whatever. But please don't leave us. Please don't, <laughs> please don't leave our fan group page now that we've said this. And I mean, I've said this. You're sure that it's a female? I you mean, don't I know. don't know. You don't know. We don't know. I thought, well, I thought, okay, so 
I didn't look at her profile, but I looked at her picture. Oh, I thought that picture was a person. Not, I thought it was a lady, not a flower. No. See, I didn't have my glasses on. It's okay. Whatever it is, we love you. We love all the new people. There was another new, new person that came on, too. So it wasn't just the Korea lady or Korea person. <laughs> I should say person to everything. But we had another person join, too. So whatever. And, and I missed that one. I missed that one. Who was that? Um. Well, it, it was recently. It was a lady from Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Wow. And she was brought in from another lady that lives in Elizabeth City that was that was that came in like a couple weeks ago. Wow, look at that. Look at us go. Yes. I mean, we're on fire. On fire. Oh my god. Um, so then also we have Instagram. We do, we do. We have the gram. Karen is fantastic to, at managing our We're up to 877 followers. Holy cow. My dream is to be at 1,000 one day. I don't know what happens when that happens, but I just feel like that's a great number to be at. Yep. But, um, and so. you're, you're trying to figure out the TikTok. Guys, we're on TikTok. We're on TikTok as Sugarcoated Murder Podcast. I downloaded TikTok, but... I don't know how to do the tick or the talk. I don't know. But well, I'm you've there. been watching videos. I at least watched some videos, and I did I did put one thing out there. It was a it was a voiceover. Like, I had to actually voiceover. I had to talk. Oh. But I didn't show my face. Yeah, I don't know. But I showed, like, our, our one of our audiograms that was playing in the background, and then I just talked about what that episode was. I loaded it on my phone. Yeah. I, That's as far as I've gotten Yeah, it. We're trying to get on TikTok, it. but if you're on TikTok, please find us and follow us, because I think I have, like, two followers right now. One is my husband. Oh, wow. And one is actually a person that, that follows us on Instagram. Oh, that's and nice. And then she saw, she saw that And she's probably TikTok. like, why are you even on TikTok? Well, she's on TikTok. I know, but she's probably wondering why we're not doing anything. Well, yeah. It's because like, we okay, don't I'm know how. You, so do something. We don't know how. Like, I don't know how to tick. Or we don't talk. have a talking parrot or a self-help. <laughs> no, or a talking husky. Nothing. Or a, a dog that knows how to talk with the buttons on God, the floor. God, no. My God. I don't have any of that crap. Trump saw buttons on the floor. He'd be like, what, what, what? And if my dog saw buttons on the floor, she'd eat it. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, there's nothing. We, we don't have much, but just come TikTok with us, yeah. please. So, yeah, so that's our social media pretty much um, right there. Yeah. So, email us for any recipes. Email yes. us and tell us any murders you want us to cover. Or yeah. if you don't want us to cover it and you know a murder, just tell us a story. Just give us some sign that you're out there and you like us. Right. We it's February. It's a, it's a month of love. It is the month of love. Show love, us love us. Please love us. We need love. We need love. <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> to anybody we're really sorry <laughs> sorry but anyway um if you're not on if you're on the fan page we we usually put our sound checks up there if they're funny and today we do actually have a a, a gift it's our gift to all the birthday people for february mm -hmm. so when you see it on there um play that little ditty yeah and you can listen to the craziness that goes on not just during our podcast but what happens before exactly one day we'll start recording what happens after because that's a whole nother shit show. oh yeah so um word to your mother oh <laughs> <laughs> isn't it word to your mama 
Oh, yeah. I guess I was a little proper for that. Right. Word to your mama. Word to your mother. <laughs> How your mother doing? How your mother doing? How you doing? How you doing and how your mama is. I don't know. Whatever. We, we love guys. Guys, we love you. We Go do. make some caramel frosting and just eat it. And stay sweet. Just eat it. Eat it. Eat it. Okay. Bye, y'all. We love you. Stay sweet. And don't murder. Because if you murder... If you kill people, Jesus loves you. This I know. If you kill people, we will talk about you. <laughs> Bye. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.